Well, today uh, we are finishing our series where we've called Soul Care, where we're looking through the Psalms to see how we can live revived, refreshed, rejuvenated souls. And we've discovered through God's Word that it's only through Jesus and only through the power He provides that our lives, our souls can be refreshed, we can be rejuvenated, and then from us we can allow that to pour out into our relationships, our families, our friends, our communities, and ultimately to the world. Well, this morning we're talking about a doctrine of the Christian faith that's very, very central, but it's also very, or very uh, uh, um, strange. It's very unique to the Christian faith. It's this, that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, chose to suffer. God Almighty sent His Son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to the earth in order to suffer. You're not going to hear that from any other world religion save Christianity. So we're going to ask these two questions this morning. What did Jesus suffer? And why did Jesus suffer? And we see in Psalm 22 both the what and the why. Well, well these, why these two questions? Why is this important? When we understand both what and why Jesus suffered, it gives us clarity on two things. Why we suffer and then what we're supposed to do about it. Why we suffer and then how we're supposed to respond in our lives to suffering. So we, uh, let me pray and then we're going to jump into Psalm 22 together this morning. I'm looking, really looking forward to it. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you so much that you came to the earth to suffer on the cross, that you died and you rose again. Lord, as we look at your word, as the, at this psalm, that uh, the first verse of which you cried from the, uh, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, may we get a better picture of what our purpose is in our lives and then help us to make sense of all the suffering that we experience, knowing that you can and will turn that suffering to your praise. So help us, Lord, as we look at your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 22. Um, and we're going to, going to go through this psalm. We're going to go through every verse of this psalm. So it's a long one, so you can buckle in. And we'll start with verse 1. The words, will be, the words will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible or Bible app, you're welcome to use that as well. Psalm 22, starting in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Well, this psalm was originally written by David, but it's foundationally about Jesus Christ. We see the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were the words that Jesus cried on the cross in his moment of great pain. You see, Jesus called out to God in the light of the day on the cross. 
and in the cool of the garden of Gethsemane. But as the psalmist says, he got no response. Christ was crucified, though he called out, if anything, could you let this cup pass from me? But in these verses, God, or Jesus pivots to saying, no, no, Jesus, you, tr- my, my forefathers, the nation of Israel trusted in you. They weren't put to shame. So we see, here we see this interesting balance of crawling out saying, God, I have no response from you when I cry in my moment of need. But looking back and saying, but you did not put my forefathers who cried, on you, cried to you, you did not put them to shame. So here's Jesus on the cross. He's crying out, but there is no deliverance. He has put his entire trust in God, but nonetheless, he's hanging on the cross naked. And starting in verse 6, we see what Jesus suffered. We see what Jesus experienced. And you, maybe you wonder, and maybe you've been down to uh, downtown Cleveland, see the Art Institute, and, and see uh, a lot of the depictions of Jesus on the cross. And maybe you wonder, why are uh, Christians so uh, obsessed with this image of Jesus on the cross? Well, one of the reasons is this. You know, if Jesus suffered like a teeny-weeny bit, like if he just got like a little taste of suffering, but he did not experience the full experience that you and I experience, that we suffer constantly, then if he only experienced a teeny, teeny, weeny, little bit of suffering, how can we say he's fully God? And how can he say he truly understands what it's like? So when we see Jesus on the cross, we see him suffering, we go, okay, he knows what it's like. You know, this is a season in my life where um, a lot of our friends are having babies. <laughs> um, and, and you guys know the verifiable fact that if men got pregnant, extinction would have happened long ago. Amen. That's right. That's, this is, that is true. Um, you know, I've spoken to a few women, my wife included. You know, though Jesus never experienced child, physical childbirth, he experienced suffering to the point he even knows what it's like to go through that type of, type of agony. Maybe you've experienced great suffering. Maybe you've had chronic back issues or some chromosomal issues that you've had since birth. And you've experienced increasing incredible suffering in your life. Well, in a moment, we're going to go through and see what Jesus experienced in his suffering. And what that means is he might not have specifically experienced your particular suffering, He doesn't know all the breadth of types of suffering, but man, he knows the depths and he knows what you've been like, you've been through and he can say, I know what it's like. Well, let's look at what Jesus suffered starting in verse six. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. So the same person who rode on a donkey to a crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That same person 
experienced this sort of humiliation. Matthew 27, you know, it's important to remember that this was written hundreds of years before the crucifixion. So it wasn't like the writers of the Gospels say, hey, I'm going to write in some of these themes of Psalms to like look like Jesus uh, was prophesied in the Old Testament. No, these are verifiable public events. So Matthew 27 says this. It says, And those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. And, he will, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. You see, Scripture tells us that they made a crown of thorns and, and, and pressed it upon Jesus' head. They took off all of his clothes and they gave him a purple robe, the color of royalty. They gave him a, a reed as a scepter and they mocked him. And they humiliated him. They, they, they created a, a plaque that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they, they nailed him to a cross. And they put him publicly in front of everyone, half naked. So people would ride by on their donkeys and their camels and go, this guy is king of the Jews. He got what was coming to him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. When was the last time you were made fun of? You know, when you get to be an adult, like you, you can like tease your buddies and stuff. But like real scathing mockery is a little bit off limits. So probably the last time you got mocked, you got humiliated, was probably middle school. You guys remember middle, the, the den of iniquity that is middle school, right? So when I, when I was seventh, sixth and seventh grade, I went to a small uh, private school with about 15 kids in my class. Uh, but in eighth grade, uh, my parents sent me to uh, the public middle school. It was the largest middle school in the entire state. And I was like six foot, like 125, 130, right? So I was not a very dominating presence in the eighth grade lunchroom. And about three weeks into my eighth grade year, my teacher dubbed me Stick Boy. And I, I know, I know. I, like, looking back as an adult, I'm like, that had to be against some law, right? So, there, so, so, but you guys remember middle school and humiliation, being made fun of, being humiliated. And you know how deep that goes. And you know what? It never quite goes away. Imagine the experience of an eighth grade lunchroom and then the experience of the most pain and agony you've ever experienced, and then combine those. That's what Jesus experienced on the cross. He experienced humiliation at the point of his greatest physical suffering. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, was willing to be humiliated on the cross. So Jesus suffered humiliation. Next we see Jesus suffered isolation. Verse 9. 
Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. See, Jesus suffered on the cross alone. The entire earthly ministry of Jesus was marked by crowds of people covering him. They'd say that there was times where there were so many people, his disciples had to like protect him from being crushed. All his through his public ministry. It was, Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, feed those people. Jesus, go here. Jesus, teach this. Jesus, touch this person. Constantly, everyone was asking something for Jesus. Everyone wanted to be right next to Jesus until he was crucified. And maybe for the first time in his life, other than, this, other than his uh, time of fasting in the wilderness, he, on the cross, was utterly alone. His disciples left him. Scripture tells us there was either three or four women, and then John, the youngest disciple, were the only ones there. And he suffered alone. I mean, for those of you who got COVID this past uh, 15, 16 months, you know, you're sick, so you want someone to care for you, but then you're supposed to isolate. <laughs> and I know that suffering alone just magnifies both being alone and the suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus experienced on the cross. And not only that, for the first time in Jesus' life and his existence, he was beginning to experience an isolation and a separation from God the Father. So we see Jesus suffered humiliation. Jesus suffered isolation. Next, we see that Jesus suffered spiritual attack. Verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. <clears throat> now the concept of bulls of Bashan, it's a little odd. It's some Old Testament imagery kind of like, like there were cows or is this a bad thing you know the bulls of Bashan they're not talking about so much the fear and the risk around being around cattle rather these are Ill, uh, um, images used in the pagan religions throughout the region these bulls were kind of the idol picture that all these foreign religions would use. So what, when they're talking about these bulls of Bashan, they're talking about spiritual attack. They're talking about a spiritual onslaught on Jesus. And then we see that there's a ravening and roaring lion. So there's many bulls and there's one lion that's wanting to attack and destroy and 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So we see that Jesus experienced spiritual attack on the cross. See, before Jesus' crucifixion, Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 in the desert. He said, if you bow down to me, if you do this one thing, hey, turn these, these rocks into bread. If you do this, all the suffering that you will experience, all the suffering in Psalm 22, hey, I'll back off. 
I'll step aside if you do these, these few things. But Jesus refused to bow his knee to the enemy, even during spiritual attack. And Jesus conquered in the wilderness of Matthew 4, and Jesus is suffering. He is conquering. Scripture says that he is in this moment breaking down the spiritual powers. He is ripping out the teeths of the lion, even in his suffering here. So Jesus suffered humiliation, isolation, spiritual attack, and Jesus suffered emotional anguish in verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and, you, and, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So Jesus' soul was poured out like water. And remember, we've studied in this series, this word soul is the Hebrew word nephesh, which means, uh, the, in the, for the Old Testament, the soul is everything that makes you, you. So your body, your mind, your spirit, the whole package, that's your soul. And Jesus' soul is empty, it's dry, it's gone. As Scripture tells us, on the cross, his body was thirsty. His lips and his mouth were cracking and bleeding. And he, was, he, he called out, can I have something to drink? And what they did is they played a trick on Jesus. We see this in Matthew. They took, they took soured wine, so vinegared wine, put a bitter gall in it, mixed it, and gave it to him so that his mouth would sting and the taste would be bitter. And Jesus says that his heart was melted within him. You know, maybe you've experienced a broken heart. I spoke to someone recently who just broke up with their significant other, and there's heartbreak there. But Jesus says his heart wasn't broken. It was melted. Have you ever had a melted heart? Have you ever felt that your heart and everything within you, your emotions, is just melted? It's just dissolved within you. This is what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. And Scripture says that his strength was dried up like a piece of broken pottery. This Jesus, who for 30 years was a carpenter slash bricklayer. He was strong. He was tough. He was physically able to do things. Scripture tells us in Matthew 27, he was so weak, he was not able to carry his own cross. So Simon from Africa had to carry it for him. And all throughout the crucifixion story, his emotions were on full display. His agony, his loss, his heart. He was in emotional anguish. Next, we see that Jesus suffered physical agony. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me. A company, a, a company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I could count all my bones. They gloat and stare over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Jesus' hands and feet Specifically, his upper wrists and his upper ankles were pierced by large spikes. Verse 14 says that his bones were out of joint. Scholars tell us that often the cause of death in crucifixion was asphyxiation. 
because after a while the shoulders would dislocate from the joints. And every time the crucified person would have to take a breath, they'd have to pull themselves up. And it was every breath was excruciating agony. And the crown of thorns, the pierced side, the flayed back, the pierced hands and feet, the mouth and the lips cracked and dry. The physical agony of crucifixion was arguably nothing like hardly any of us have experienced. Maybe you've experienced some incredible, incredible pain. Maybe you've had long-term illness. Maybe you've experienced just physical agony. And I know a lot of, I mentioned earlier, a lot of the, the ladies who've experienced childbirth. That's incredible, incredible physical agony. But I know one thing about everyone who's suffered terribly in their bodies. I know one thing. If you could snap your fingers and make it all go away, you would. Jesus could, but he didn't. He could have just said, done, I'm done with this. Get me off this cross. But you see, Jesus had something to accomplish. This suffering, this agony was for a purpose. And we see next the, the peak, the pinnacle of his suffering. Jesus suffered death. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Notice the, the change in punctuation. These are all exclamation points. So when we read this, we need to think of Christ crying out of not just an inside voice. This is someone who's screaming out. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And here's where we say Jesus giving up his spirit. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So Jesus, after all of this, finally he died. And these verses, they're the climax of Jesus' call for deliverance. And Jesus truly experienced death. He knows what it's like to face death because he walked through that pale. You know, as I was looking through this psalm and how Jesus suffered humiliation, isolation, spiritual attack, emotional anguish, physical agony, and ultimately death. I was reading through a sermon by a 5th century theologian named Augustine. And in his beginning prayer, when he began his sermon, he prayed this. O Christ, Son of God, had you not wished it, you would not have suffered. Why did Jesus suffer? Why did Jesus wish this suffering? Now, if we ended the psalm here, I think all of us would go, I don't know. Maybe God is a God who loves pain. Maybe he's like a masochist who just, he's just loves destruction like some sort of like Marvel anti-hero. 
but we have the rest of the psalm. And we see an explanation. First we saw what Jesus suffered. Now we see why Jesus suffered. Look with me, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From, the, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Now, if you had grown up in church you, uh, and someone asked you, hey, why did Jesus die, suffer and die on the cross? You would probably say, and you would be right, well, because Jesus loves me. And he wants me to be in his family. And I'm telling you, you would be right. That, wouldn't, that would get a, a, a green check on the, the, the Sunday school quiz. But that's not principally or foundationally why Jesus suffered and died. The Bible tells us that the reason ultimately, foundationally, that Jesus suffered and died is so that God would be praised. Foundationally, Jesus suffered and died so that God would be praised. Ultimately, this is what we call the good news of the gospel. Ultimately, foundationally, the good news at the foundation is that everything is about God. We think, well, that kind of seems selfish, doesn't it? <laughs> because we kind of like things about us. We like to think like, okay, the world doesn't really revolve around us, but it kind of does. Well, here's the thing. I, we don't have time to like fully explain why it is the best thing that the world is all about the praise of God. But let me just say this. Can you handle... In your, in your closest relationship, say your spouse, your sibling, your roommate, your parent, whatever it is, the closest relationship. Can you handle all the expectations they have for you? Like, have you ever been in that situation where you realize, well, this person expects so much from me and I cannot meet all these expectations? Like all you young married couples, you know after about like eight hours married that you're like, whoa, you and I, we kind of like, like I expect all this stuff for you and you expect all this stuff for me and we are missing each other. The good news is that God can handle all of our expectations for him. If our expectations are good and true and right, Every hope, every dream, every prayer, every desire finds their fulfillment in God because 
His love is so deep that he has proven it to us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. See, us being all about God is not somehow to exclude us, but is to bring us into the story of what God's doing. You see, let's look at the, the next few verses. We see that God is praised when all the nations know about his love for them. Look at me, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. So why did Jesus suffer? So that God would be praised and so that all the nations would praise God. You see, in the Old Testament, God chose a people called Israel. And through Israel, all the nations would be blessed. Like, I'm not Jewish. But through that initial people, and in, in the New Testament, through God's church, the expanse of the praise of God is going out throughout the world. And I and you, if you are not Jewish, are a recipient of people bringing the love of Christ in the message of the gospel. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons we here at the campus, from the, from the very beginning, we committed that in order to do the campus, we're going to commit to find one, as the Bible calls, nation. This is a, these are unreached people groups. These aren't geopolitical nations. They're unique groups of people based on language, custom, culture, and ethnicity. We've committed to identify one people group who does not know about Jesus and his love for them. And we are going to partner with or send a missionary so that they can get the Bible, hear the message of the gospel, and have a church present in their community. You see, we get to be part of what God is doing throughout the world to be about his praise. And you see, when we enter into what God is doing, we realize that our souls become enlivened. We become, they become rejuvenated. They become alive because we were made to praise God. Look at me, verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to the Lord, to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. See, why did Jesus suffer? So that you and I would tell others about what Jesus has done. When we tell others about the love of God as shown by the giving of his son, Jesus. That is why Jesus suffered. That is why you all are in unique career fields and in unique seasons of life. And your students and retirees, your stay-at-home moms and your nurses and your carpenters. This job of telling everyone about the love of God, it cannot be accomplished merely by me. Goodness, 
No, or by just this little space on Sunday mornings. See, the goal of this time together is to equip you to go out in the various fields that you're called to, to live in excellence and holiness with truth and love and justice and mercy so that you can represent and reflect the heart of God because God is true. He is merciful. He is just. This time together on a Sunday morning is really important and effective only when we all go out together into our various fields and praise the Lord. That's when we do that, when we live out our calling uniquely how God's designed us in the position that he's put you, when we do that, our hearts become alive. Our hearts be, re, become rejuvenated. We have strength and we lean into the day because we're living according to how God designed us to praise his name. Let me close with this. You know, I, I have loved getting into the Psalms of uh, this series. Um, and it's just really been, it's been fun for me to uh, write the messages um, but I will say it's been really hard to figure out how to apply these to like everyday life. Because some of the Psalms are literary and kind of theological. So I don't have like, you know, it's been hard for me to have, right, here are your three steps this week, you know. So I don't have any of those today. <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to share with you a story that's made an impact in my life. And maybe you can get a picture of what God's calling you this week to do. So you'll see on the, on the uh, screen... There's, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, paintings. I've never see it, seen it in real life. But I have this, I have it framed. This is a, called the Eisenheim Altarpiece by Matthias Grunewald. He uh, was a painter in the 16th century. And I have a picture of it that I put right above where my desk is, right, kind of right there when I um, study and pray. And there's a lot about this that is, I love. Um, but one of the reasons I love it so much is a story that I've heard that goes along with it. So in the 1920s, there was this talented theologian who was uh, incredibly gifted and was um, a young man who got a position as primary theologian at the University of Bonn. It's a prestigious university in Germany, and he was a rising star and had the kind of the uh, tiger by the tail. But as he was continuing his career, the Third Reich in Germany began to increase. And in 1935, every employee at a public institution had to sign an oath of loyalty to Adolf Hitler. Now, this is a Christian theologian, he loved Jesus. He's like, I'm not, you know, loath of oil, oath of loyalty, this guy. But, but he was going back and forth. Should I, you know, what if I just sign it and I don't really mean it, right? It's no big deal. Or, so because he knew if he didn't sign it, his house, his, pro, his property, all of his resources, and probably his bank account would be seized and confiscated. And him and his family would have to, would be deported. So he was de debating what he should do. And this was on display in Germany. And, and he, as he was looking at this painting, he had a moment of clarity. So he was looking at Jesus on the cross, and he felt like God was saying to him, look, 
you're not supposed to be Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're not going to suffer for, for other people. That's not your role. And see, the guy to the right, Jesus' is left, that's John the Baptist. He's holding the Bible. And he felt God saying, you're not John the Baptist. You're not going to be the prophet who stays in Germany and, and speaks against uh, the wickedness. He said, he felt God telling him, your job is simply to be the finger of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus on the cross. So he didn't sign the oath. All this stuff was confiscated. He was deported. And he was used for the next 30 years to, as a as bombshell upon the Nazi regime by pushing back theological Nazism within the academic literature. And as I heard that story, I remember I heard it for the first time in graduate school. And I think, you know what? I think all of us, our job is to simply be the finger of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus on the cross. How you use your suffering may be the best way you're the finger of John the Baptist to point to Jesus on the cross. You see, every one of us has been given a vitally important role. And I don't know what that looks like for your life. Only God can tell you. But I do know this. All of us are called to praise the one who died on the cross and rose again. And we get to be part of what God is doing here and throughout the world by pointing to, by being the finger of John the Baptist to point to Jesus on the cross. And my hope is that this story can maybe prod something in your heart to make you think, man, what, maybe this step or that step I can take to better point to Jesus on the cross. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your work on the cross, for your ministry. Thank you that you gave your life. Thank you that we get to be part of uh, uh, your, uh, the, the, the course of praise, the congregation of praise. Help us to know what you want us to do individually so that we can better praise you. So Lord, we love you. And we're gonna, we want to praise you in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.